0: We're going to have a look at uh, Psalm 84. So, if you want to have that open before you, that's Psalm 84. And again, again that's on page 526 of the Church Bible, Psalm 84. I don't know whether you've uh, started planning holidays this year. I know uh, if you're anything like me, as soon as you book it, you just can't wait to be there. You've looked at all the pictures on the uh, internet maybe and uh, in your head you've got uh, what a wonderful time it's going to be. And uh, then the weeks just can't go quick enough, especially if you're working. You just want those uh, days to pass a little bit, I suppose, like when you were a kid at Christmas. Uh, Just wanting to be somewhere and that kind of uh, almost agony, if you like, and that frustration of just not being there and uh, having to go through each day and each uh, it's night but then realizing that you know you just can't waste your life and then you think okay right I've got to stop uh, thinking about holidays and just focus on today and uh, for me this psalm is is very much like that if you look at it it's a psalm about a longing a longing to dwell to be somewhere to be somewhere wonderful but then also the realization that there's a journey that needs to be taken to get there so if we look at verse one it says how lovely is your tabernacle o lord of hosts my soul longs Yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And the tabernacle was the place of God's kind of earthly dwelling, a place that uh, displayed his character, that displayed all that uh, was um, wonderful about him, that kind of give, gave people a, a glimpse of, of who God was and, and that, uh, that holiness and that glory that was his. And uh, the psalmist, obviously, was longing to be in that place, to physically go up to the temple or the tabernacle, uh, to experience what it was, to, to, or, the, or the closest that there was, if you like, on earth, to actually uh, to dwell with God, to be in the place that God was. And just like the psalmist, our eternal destination is God's presence. You know, we've been singing about it today, what an incredible hope that we have, that one day, because of the person and the work of Jesus we will be in God's presence without shame, without fear for all eternity and we will dwell with him. And really for me there's a challenge even right at the beginning in this first verse as to what is it we long for? What is it we're longing for even as Christians? Are we just longing that uh, our life here on earth will be uh, pleasurable and uh, blessed? Are we longing for status and fame or or money and wealth, or health, or happy family, or whatever it is. Is that all our longing is? Or is that actual longing for more than that? Maybe our longing is, uh, and I know I've been guilty of this in the past, is, is really just to, to avoid hell. It's kind of the thing that uh, you think, oh yeah, I must, must avoid that nasty place. But actually, I then don't transfer that longing to truly longing for God himself. I've kind of got a longing to avoid something, but not necessarily a longing to dwell somewhere else. And for me, that's the real challenge of this first verse of the psalm, is do we have that longing, do we have that fainting almost, that the psalmist has for the presence of the Lord? Are we living our lives really in that uh, frustration, in, in a sense, that we know that we're not experiencing the fullness of his presence? You know, we've been praying a lot as a fellowship just about knowing the presence of the Lord more and experiencing that, that fullness of, of his presence as much as we can here on earth. And that really should be our heart's longing is for the presence of the Lord. And we mustn't fall short of that. You know, I think so many people, and as I said, I've been guilty of it, we fall short of it because we just long for God to give us good things or we just long for bad things not to happen, either in this life or eternity. But how much are we truly longing for god himself verse three he starts talking about sparrows even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young even your altars O lord of hosts my king and my god and I love this because I think what the psalmist is saying is if the little sparrows if the smallest of the little birds can find a home in the tabernacle then why can't I if even the most insignificant of God's creation can find a place of acceptance, of peace, of rest and security, a place to be fruitful, to, find that, to have a nest and lay her young, if even she can do that, then why can't I? What's stopping me? And it's interesting that he talks about altars. Obviously the uh, tabernacle of the temple was full uh, of altars, and there was a lot of sacrifice going on, and if you look in Leviticus we see that even sparrows, even these small little birds, were sacrificial animals. The cleansing for leprosy, the, the sacrifice as a thanksgiving for that was a sparrow. Lepers would be outcasts and wouldn't be able to afford the bigger animals. So the smallest of animals was sacrificed as a thanksgiving for their cleansing. Now, they probably weren't sacrificed on the altars in the tabernacle, but it's just an interesting image for me that an animal can find a home in a place where animals are killed and sacrificed. And it really made me think about myself. You know, how can I ever find a place in the uh, dwelling place of God? How can I, a sinful person, ever find a place, somebody who should be punished for their sin? Even if I was sacrificed on an altar, I couldn't atone for my sin. I could never make up for it. But I, the Bible is very clear that the, the penalty for sin is death. So how can I, uh, a sinful man who should be scat down and uh, punished for my sin in the presence of a holy God, ever find a dwelling place of security? And the answer is that God has provided himself a lamb. That actually that altar is covered in the blood of Jesus, a once-for-all sacrifice for my sin. You see, us little sparrows can find a place of safety and rest a place of dwelling with God himself for all eternity because Jesus died in our place. Isn't that a wonderful image? I find that so encouraging that even that place of judgment, even that place of punishment is not scary for us. Just like those little sparrows could nest above the altars so we can find rest and and peace. There's no condemnation for us on that day of judgment. Can you say that for yourself? Are you trusting in yourself to put your rights right before you meet with God? You'll never do it. Are you trusting in yourself to take the punishment for your sin? You'll never do it. Let Jesus do it in your place. 1 Peter one to 18-19 says, You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Verse four says, <clears throat> "Blessed are those who dwell in your house; they will still be praising you." Selah. We're paused to we're encouraged to pause here and think. And I think one of the reasons is is that wonderful little phrase, "They will still be praising you." Still when? Still tomorrow? Still next week? Still when we are uh, facing death? Yes still into eternity after death yes still for eternity yes that still never finishes for those that put their trust in God why because we know that we're secure we know that the dwelling place we have is not based upon what we do we can't slip up we can't make a mistake that throws us out where we suddenly won't have access we are secure because we're in Christ and Christ is in God you see Jesus has won that place for us and no one can take it away As we heard in our reading earlier, he has a place for us, a mansion in our Father's house. It is so, and he will come back for us. And what that means is that we can praise him no matter what the circumstances, because we know, as we sang earlier on, that nothing can separate us. Whatever it is we're going through, it cannot separate us from that love, from our place, uh, right at his heart. Why? Because it isn't dependent on us. The frailty of our body or the frailty of our mind or even the frailty of our faith. As long as our faith is in Jesus, then we are secure. And I think that's why he asks us to pause. I think the other reason he asks us to pause is because now the um, psalm takes a slightly different focus. The focus goes from the dwelling place, the destination, to the journey itself. You'll see in verse five, he says, "'Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, "'whose heart is set on pilgrimage.'" You see, he knows that he's not there yet. He wants to be there. He longs to be there. He even faints to be there, but he isn't there. He's on a journey, a pilgrimage to be there. And it's the same with us, isn't it? We know that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We know that our position is secure. We know that we are going from glory to glory, but we're not there yet. We're seeing but a glimpse of what's to come. And we need strength for this journey because this journey is tough. Tougher than I think any of us would have thought when we actually agreed to go on it, but I think that's part of the grace of God. Um, But our strength has to come from the Lord. Psalm 118.14 says, The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. You see, the destination where we are focused, uh, where we're heading, should direct the the steps that we take on the journey. It's important that we uh, look and remember and keep reminding ourselves of where our destination is, because that will determine the steps that we take. Otherwise, it's so easy to go off track when we forget where we're heading. You know, if you've got your eyes fixed on the destination, then it's so much easier to keep going than actually if you're just kind of wandering around aimlessly. Because the, what our eyes are set on, what our heart is set on, will determine the decisions that we make. If our heart is set on pilgrimage, if every decision we make is made in the light of getting closer to the Lord, of serving him and honouring him and loving him, then that will totally transform our lives. We'll go from people whose, every decision whose heart is set on what's best for themselves, their own pleasure or their own status or their own fame, or how they look in the eyes of others, just thinking about pleasing other people or you know, what they'll look good on social media will go from those kind of people to the kind of people whose every decision is for the glory of God. You see, if our destination, if we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord, then wherever we are in life is the right path. You know, we can get so caught up sometimes in knowing the will of God for our lives. Who should we marry? What job should we do? Which lawnmower should we buy? All of these kind of things. We get caught up in all of that. But actually, if our mind is focused, if our eyes and our heart are focused on the Lord, then the, that's the right path. We're on the right path, and God will guide us in the decisions that we make. Verse 6 says, As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. See, Bacca was a place of weeping or barrenness, not a nice place to be. And how often is our journey through life through a valley of Baca? How often can it be, feel like a place of barrenness or a place of weeping? But look at the second half of that. Even though we pass through these um, times, there's springs, there's pools of water. And it's interesting what it talks about there because it says they make it a spring. So to some um, extent, we have a part in this. Again, if our heart is longing for the Lord, if we stay close to the Lord even if we're just clinging on to him uh, with, with the little faith that we have, then we will make it a spring. Actually, we can be a blessing to those around us. We can make a difference, not just to our own lives, but to the lives of our families and our communities. And even in those barren times that maybe as a group or a community that we're going through, we can help make it a spring, a place of blessing. But also you notice that it says the rain covers it with pools. And rain in the Bible often refers to the provision and blessing of God. Look in Joel 2 and James 5. So really, we can make it a spring, but only because the Lord is raining on us. The Lord is blessing us. You see, the Lord is amazing. As we've said before, he can actually make joy out of sorrow. He can make fruit out of barrenness. Nothing is impossible for him. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And there's a, a word that's a very hopeful word in there, and it's, it's they said that they pass through the valleys. You see, we're always passing through. This is a journey. Even though we might linger in suffering and difficulty longer than we would like to, we will pass through it. Even if we have an issue now that is actually going to be with us, even until we die. Death is a release for us and we will pass through it into that place without weeping, without tears, without sorrow. Verse 7 says, They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. I don't know about you, but as the older I'm getting, the more I feel I'm going from weakness to weakness. It doesn't feel like I'm getting stronger. Um, Those visions I had of of me when I was middle-aged, when I was younger, certainly not coming to fruition. But the truth is that actually we go from strength to strength. That even though physically we may feel weaker, even mentally we may feel weaker, actually God is doing a work within us. He says, therefore, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians four sixteen says, therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And again, it's an act of faith to believe that the, Lord, the Holy Spirit is really doing that work in us, that even though we don't feel strong, there is that inward strength that he is um, creating within us, that fortitude, if you like, that perseverance, that character that is seeing us through. What a wonderful promise. Each one appears before God in Zion. You know, we believe, don't we, that God has chosen us and therefore we persevere. There is a perseverance of the saints. Not because we're great people, better than other people, and we're, you know, we're uh, psyched ourselves up and we're going to do this, we're going to grit our teeth and do it. No, because God does it. God finishes what he starts. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Isn't that wonderful that no matter how difficult our life is, no matter what we're going through, we will reach our destination. There is no doubt that we will appear before God in Zion, that we will appear before him and see him face to face. Why? Because he will do it. Even though it may not look like it to us, even though we might be Failing against all of our uh, targets that we put up for how well we're doing, God will do it. Verse 8 O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Why can we trust in God? Oh, because He's the God of hosts. He created the heavens and the earth, He's the God of the heavenly hosts, He's the God of heaven's armies. There is nothing impossible for Him. No matter what the circumstance might look on the outside, he is battling through his angel armies. He's doing everything behind the scenes to turn it for good, to use it for his glory. He is working his purposes out in ways that we cannot see. He's the Lord of hosts and he fights for us. But he's also the God of Jacob. And I love that. I love the fact that he picks these two titles for God because one talks about the majesty of God with his heavenly armies kind of sweeping in and winning great battles the other one talks about him wrestling with Jacob that personal wrestle of faith that we all have with the Lord that he's willing to engage in with us even though he's fighting you know isn't God it's so incredibly gracious Even though he's working his purposes out on a massive worldwide scale, he's working his purpose out in our lives. He knows exactly what's going to happen to us and how he's going to work it. Yet he still allows us to come and argue with him and reason with him and wrestle with him about the difficulties we're having. Why? Because he loves us. We can trust him. We will appear before God in Zion because he's the God of hosts and he's the God of Jacob. He's also our shield. Verse nine says, "O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. Now probably that originally was a reference to the king, probably David, asking God to show him favour. But now we know there's another king that we are, a king who's on the throne of David for all eternity. And I can't help thinking of Jesus when I read that because Jesus is my shield. Jesus is the one that protects me. He protects me from the wrath of God. He protects me from eternal damnation. And actually, my prayer is that he will look, that God the Father will look on the face of his anointed and see him, not see me, not see all my failings and sin, but actually see Jesus, because Jesus is truly my shield. He is the one that has died for me. He's the one that protects me and keeps me. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And again, we're back to this image of the temple. And again, it's a challenge and a real one for me. Am I enticed by the shiny, bright lights of the world? Am I enticed away from God's presence by those things that would offer me sort of more, uh, more of a, an immediate gratification? those things that offer me uh, things here and now? Do I actually uh, enjoy the things of this world? Now, I'm not saying that we have to hate everything about the world, but there is a sense that if those things are pulling us away, if they're taking the place of God in our lives, then they're becoming idols. Would we truly live a life of maybe insignificance or maybe of low status, that like that of a doorkeeper, will we truly, are we truly prepared to live that kind of life for the glory of God, rather than have all the fame and the fortune that might be ours? You know I'm sure all of us have had to make decisions where we have uh, had to decide to be unpopular or decide not to get some kind of uh, reward or maybe promotion or some kind of gratification. We've had to decide against that in order to honor the Lord. How easy is it just to fall into the ways of the world in order to get stuff from the world? Are we prepared to make those stands and say, do you know what? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to have all of the glory and the fame of the world. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain see, it's not hard to be godly and, uh, and try and, and do all the right things and just be really grumpy, dragging our feels, feet and just kind of doing it out of a sense of duty and thinking, well, yeah, I'm doing all the right things, but actually I wish I was out there in the world having fun, but I'll do what's right. That's not hard. It's also not hard to be content and just uh, doing anything we want to, just, uh, you know, receiving all of the, the, the pleasure that the world has to offer and ignoring God. That's not hard either. But what is hard is the two together. That's the supernatural work of the Spirit, to actually do what is right, to honour the Lord and be content doing so, be joyful doing so. In Ecclesiastes 5.19, it says that satisfaction is a gift from God. Let's ask for that gift. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to work that in us, that actually we do what is right, but we're glad to do it and we're content to do it. Verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield, the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You see, the question really is, why would he rather be a doorkeeper? What does he know that makes him content with that lower position or with that, uh, the loss of status or whatever it is that he's chosen in, honor to order, the, in order to honour the Lord? The reason is he knows that Lord is his Son and shield. And obviously, as we've seen before, S.H.I.E.L.D. talks about protection, that the Lord protects. The son talks about provision, about life. The reason that he has dedicated himself to the Lord, the reason that he's prepared to be that doorkeeper in the house of the Lord is because he knows that the Lord is his everything. He knows, actually, that there's nothing out there that he needs or even wants because he knows that the Lord will provide for him. He says the Lord will give grace and glory we know the grace of god don't we by grace we've been saved through faith a gift of god everything we have is by grace every single good thing we have is a gift from god the lord will give grace and as we've seen he also gives glory 2 corinthians 3:18 but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of god are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are a people that can say with the psalmist, the Lord is good. The Lord is our sun and the shield. The Lord has given us grace and glory. But there's an element of faith to this, and you'll see it in the next part. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, here's an act of faith. Because actually, when we look at our lives, often, maybe it's just me, I think, oh, that would be really good if I had that and I pray for it and it doesn't happen. Or that would be really good if that disappeared or if that health issue went and I pray about it and it doesn't happen. And it's so easy for our own flesh to rise or for, for Satan to come in and start tempting us and say, well, God does obviously doesn't love you then. Or maybe God's just forgot about you. And again, you've only got to read the Psalms to, to know that that's nothing new that the men of God over all the ages have gone through these things themselves. And what they have to do is you have to battle it. You have to gird your loins, as it were, and you have to um, rely on on your faith. You have to pray that the Lord will give you that faith to trust that no good thing will he withhold. You see, that was Eve's problem. You know, Satan comes along and goes, well, you know, you know why God doesn't want you to eat from that tree? Because actually you'll benefit if you eat from that tree. He's trying to hold that from you. It's the age-old temptation that the Lord hasn't got our best interests at heart, and he really has. But it's a battle for us to keep believing in. It's a battle that we'll have every day of the journey that we take. Verse 12 concludes, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. You see, it's really about trust. The righteous walk, we walk by faith. Why? Because we have to trust in the goodness of God. We have to trust in the love of God for us. Why? Because we will walk many a time through that valley of weeping and barrenness. And we have to trust that the Lord is with us. Sometimes we will have those wonderful mountaintop experiences where we'll really know the Lord's presence will be full of the joy of the Lord. But how often do we walk through those valley times where we have to believe and trust in the word of God and his promises to us? Blessed is the man who trusts in you. You see, we must trust in God for this life and also the life to come. We must trust in God for the journey and for the destination. Psalm 20 verse 6 to 7 says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So what can we say in conclusion? Well, if you're not a Christian this morning if you're watching online or here and you're just kind of exploring these things then I want to ask you a question what is your destination in life what are you longing for in this life and does your longing go to the life to come you see the truth is that your life doesn't end when you die it only just begins in a sense there's all eternity but there's only two places that you can spend that eternity You know, you get to choose wherever you live in this life. You can go wherever you want. But there's two destinations in eternity. Heaven, in the presence of God, to bless you forever. Or hell, where there's only um, the presence of God to punish you for your sin. Where do you want to spend eternity? Where is your destination? You have two choices. There isn't a third destination. There's not this kind of glamorous hell that that uh, you see on the TV where everybody's having a wonderful time and everybody's having their, their wickedest desires and they can just revel in them for all eternity. That place does not exist. The devil is not in charge of hell. The devil is bound. Uh, and Jesus is in charge of hell. The lamb is in charge of hell. There's only two places, two destinations. Where's yours? You can, you know, try and convince yourself and just delude yourself that actually there's, a, there's somewhere else For you to go and you're going to get there by your good works. The Bible is very clear. There is nowhere, there's no third option that you get by being a good person. The choice is about you, about your destination. Is your longing for the presence of God? Because if it is, through Jesus, you will get there by his grace for all eternity. If it's not, then you'll get what you want. You'll get the absence of all the blessing and the pleasure of being with the Lord. So what is your destination? What is your life set on? What is your heart set on? What are you living for? Because if it isn't for Jesus, if it's not for God, then you're missing the whole point of life. The Bible's quite clear that eternal life is to know the Father and the Son. What is your heart longing for? 2 Corinthians 5, 20 to 21 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. as Though God were pleading through us, we implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, for you, that you, that we, might become the righteousness of God in him. If you're a Christian here this morning, then what hope we have, our destination is sure. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. If you want to have a look at that, Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 7. We know that we have a wonderful, glorious hope and a destination, a dwelling place with God himself. But we know that also we're not there yet. We long to see him face to face. As it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we now see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am fully known. And here's the tension of our Christian life, isn't it? That we actually know that our destination is secure. We know that there's this wonderful dwelling place with God set before us, but we're not there yet. We have this pilgrimage, this journey, this earthly life that we have to go on. But actually, our destination should determine the steps that we take. That's why it's so important to keep our eyes fixed on the glory that's ahead. It should be the biggest influence on the decisions that we make. It also means that knowing our ultimate destination and knowing that it's secure knowing that the love of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, the cleansing blood of Jesus, knowing that that will get there, knowing that his love for us is certain, he never leaves us or forsakes us, it means that we can be content wherever we are. That actually, you know, we're not like those kids before Christmas or me before my holiday, just kind of uh, so focused on, on the future that I'm just wanting every day to end and getting frustrated. Actually, I can rest and I can be content and I can serve the Lord today, whatever my circumstances. Why? Because I know that this is an ordained step of the journey. Even though it might not look like it, even though it might not be why I'm visaged, even though I might think that I'm walking away from him. Actually, he knows and he's with me. And that means that we can be content whatever our circumstances in life. <coughs> Philippians 4, to 13 says, Not that I speak in regard to need, For I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen.